0: I liked how Anthony, how you said that, uh, from quoting from a song, that we wait for the gates of heaven to open and for King Jesus to come riding forth. In that last song that we sang, verse 2, this is where we are. We are living under the shadow of thy throne. Thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Our world is in great turmoil, as Todd mentioned, and we all know. And it won't always be this way. But here we are. (laughs) Right? This is Sunday, November 5th. The year 2023, and we don't know how many more years the Lord will give us, but we're living under the shadow of his throne. I find that extremely comforting. And, uh, but this morning we have to talk about nuts and the nuts and bolts of life, the practical part of life. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter six. And last time we began looking at how life is to be lived in the last days, as we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul describes this process in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I take that to mean we're to live out our faith, our lives with great humility, And with deliberate, intentional thought. We don't just fumble along in the darkness. It takes deliberate thought. The life that is lived in Christ and for Christ, it's an ongoing process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's grueling. There are times of respite where we can relax, but for the most part in our walk of faith... We face challenge after challenge, and it will not end until the lid is closed. We sang about that till we take our last breath. So this is for the long, the long haul. And we do this out of reverence for Christ. Last time we looked at the the relationship of husbands and wives. And this morning, I'd like to use the word mandate. We have been given a mandate by the Lord Jesus. A mandate is an official order or a commission to do something. When Jesus was about to leave this earth in Matthew 28, he great gave the great commission to his disciples and to us. It was a mandate that we are supposed to do. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. To go into all the world is part of it. But living life in our kitchens, in our dining rooms, in our living rooms, is part of that. And so this morning, as followers of Christ, as those who are have willingly and thoughtfully given ourselves to Him in submission, and we are under his authority with his mandate we're going to learn what that looks like further within the family and this morning we're going to look at the family as it relates to children and as it relates to parents so first i'd look, like for us to think about the mandate to children so let me read the passage Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 children Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now those four verses aren't hard to understand. They're simple, really. But something tells me that they're not quite so easy to put into practice. There are two commands that are directed to children. The first is to obey, and the second is to honor, and they're closely related. But before we get into the, what those words actually mean and what Paul is saying, we need to understand to whom Paul is speaking. Now That may, be, may seem obvious. But how many children do we have here this morning? Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hands, how did you get here? I mean, I don't mean to church, but how did you get here on the planet? Did you just appear? No. All of us were born into this world as a child, right? So we are all children in that respect. Now, it depends entirely on what definition of child we use, right? In the English language, we have the word child or children, and it can mean any different thing, and different things depending on the context. Well, it's interesting in the Greek language, it's much more descriptive. And what's what I find interesting, there are a number of words in the Greek language that describe what a child is. Where we look at context... The Greek language actually makes it easy for us. It describes what a child is and who, by using a certain word, what type of child it is. So Paul uses, well, let me let me back up a second. There is a word for child that means infant or a minor. There's another one for a young person, a young man or a young person. And there's another one that means what we're using this morning that Paul uses in this chapter as A child, it's not age-specific. It speaks to everyone, because we are all children of our parents. An example of that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, and this is the love chapter, we know it well, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. The word that Paul uses for child is the word for infant or a minor. He doesn't use that same word here in Ephesians chapter 6. So that, that's very helpful. I will always be a child of Wilbur and Mary Bender. Always. I'm their child. They're not here anymore. They're, they're gone on to heaven. But I am their son. I am their child. So in that sense, Paul is speaking to every one of us. Children, obey your parents. Now last time we looked at that nice, warm, fuzzy word that we all, you know, get that feeling, the word submission, it just makes us feel warm all over, right? Well this morning there's another one of those words and it's called obey and it's it's very similar to submit because it actually means to render submissive acceptance. How many of you love doing that? You know, it's not part of our nature, is it? I didn't see any hymns on that. Now, I've heard it said about 18-year-olds that they are the ones that the military really likes. They like 18-year-olds because the commanding officer can tell them, you know, get them all excited and said, go take that hill. And they'll go take that hill. Anybody that's a little bit seasoned, a little bit older will say, what's on the other side of that hill? So so children, we have this obedience is easier for a younger child but it's still not simple, if I can say it that way. Now, I'm sure all of us can think of exceptions. O- children, obey your parents. So we can think of an exception. Well, but, have you ever heard that as a parent? You tell your child to do something, but, that's an exception. There are times and there are situations where obeying a parent is not the right thing to do. Sometimes it's unwise and it can actually be sinful to obey. So Paul is not saying, just obey whatever they tell you, just do. Just don't even question it. That's not what he's saying. And so we are well aware that there are some parents who are not good parents. They don't have your best at heart. They only have themselves, is what they're thinking about. But it takes obedient, it takes wisdom to understand, and we have to remember this. Everything we do, everything we obey, it's out of reverence for Christ. That is our mindset. We are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which we spoke of last time. And being there means that we have to listen to His voice. But there's this thing about exceptions that I think we're all prone to this. We're always looking for the exception. It's like, yeah, but... And I wonder if the reason we don't look for exceptions is because we don't like what was, we were told in the first place. It has nothing to do with the exception. It has everything to do with, I don't want to do what you told me. Now, I think all of us are well aware by now that Tuesday is voting day in this nation... And in our own state, on Tuesday, for all those who will cast a vote, it will be decided, it's not a matter of if, it is, it will be decided, whether there should be unlimited or right to an abortion that should be enshrined in our state constitution. What is interesting, as you listen to both sides of that argument, is what about the exceptions, what about this or what about that in this case or that case? So it's always the exception that is wanting to be talked about. It's to divert the attention away from actually what it's dealing with. That over, that main overriding reason, is it right to kill an unborn baby or is it not? Well, no, but. There we go again. There's that exception. Paul is not telling us to submit blindly to whatever we're told. Just do it. He is giving us a guiding principle. Now, even though Paul is addressing all of us as children, and in that all, he's including infants and minors, young children, adolescents, and so on. So this morning, I want us to think I want you to think about you. Let's talk about you for a moment. Now, not every person grows up with a parent. My own brother and sister were both adopted from another family. Their parents didn't want them. They came into our family. They became part of it. They became children of Mary and Wilbur just as much as I am a child of Mary and Wilbur. Some parents have passed on. So, this applies even if you don't have a parent, there is a responsible adult that you need to answer to and obey. So, now's not the time to go to sleep. Obedience is a matter of the heart. The first thing that a child needs to come to understand is that God has placed you where you are, under his authority, and under the authority of your parent, or parents, or guardian, however you want to say that, and that you are responsible to them, and you are responsible to him, and it's for your good. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable about two sons. Now, these would have been older sons. So these aren't little children. They are, they're very, they're almost adults, it seems like. And now Jesus tells this parable. And to be fair, he's not talking about obedience to parents. That's not his, the purpose of this parable. He's dealing with the teachers of the law and their hypocrisy. But in doing that, He teaches about obedience as well. So, interesting, we talked about questions in Sunday school, how Jesus, everybody was asking questions. So here we have it again. He asks a question. He begins, what do you think? He asked these teachers of the law. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. I will not. The son answered, now, whether he said that directly to his father or under his breath, we're not told, but he said it. But later he changed his mind and went to work in the vineyard. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. Now get that children. They called the father, Sir. That has a nice ring to it, okay? Just, that's for free. But this son, even though he said he would go, didn't go. And then Jesus asked the question, which of the two did what the father wanted? Which of the two obeyed? It's pretty obvious. The father was the one in authority. He was the one that was responsible for the farm. He was the one who made the decisions that affected the whole family. The decisions he made either had a positive or a negative impact on their livelihood. So he was the responsible person. And he was the one who had the experience. So the first son, when asked, he had an exception We aren't told what it was, but there was a reason why he said, I'm not going to go to the vineyard today. At least in his own mind, he thought, I've got a better idea. He checked his weather app, and this was a perfect day for fishing. I don't have time to be sweating in the vineyard. Or maybe he just wanted to sleep in. But whatever it was, he said, in his heart, he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to obey. And sadly, I think that for many of us, that is our default. When we're asked to do something, immediately we think of reasons why we can't or we won't. I'm kind of that way. Thankfully, none of you are. It's our human nature, those exceptions. But later, after the son thinks about what his father has asked, and he realizes you know it's the right thing to do he is the boss after all he went and he did it and he obeyed as paul says the reason we obey is is first because it's what the lord wants us to do and because it's the right thing to do now we aren't given details as to why this first son, after he decided to go and work in the vineyard, we aren't told if he went back and repented to his father and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I told you I wouldn't go, but I've changed my mind. I'm going to go. He didn't get all weepy and said, I promise it won't happen again. You ever heard that? (laughs) None of that. He just simply got up and went. And he did what his father asked. But the second son is the one that said, sure, I'll go, but he didn't. Why not? We aren't told. But obviously something came up that was more important in his mind, and he realized, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go, and he didn't. Maybe he simply said, I'll go, so that his dad would leave him alone and then he just disappeared somewhere. Now as children, more often than not, you don't think about the long-term consequences of your obedience or disobedience. It's only what's happening in the moment that concerns you. And that is why Paul said that when a child, when I was a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. You don't think about the long-term implications of what you're doing. It's only the moment. Now, as I think about those two sons, how would supper have been that night when both sons came home and they're sitting at the table and the father looks over at the first son and says, so you said you didn't to go to the vineyard. What did you do all day? And he says, well, dad, I actually, I did go to the vineyard. Oh, well, that's that's great. I appreciate that. And as the second son, with his, he's fumbling and he's, You know, I don't know what he's doing. So when he, he didn't think about it, when dad asks, so you went to the vineyard today, he said, no, I never actually got there. That would have been very uncomfortable because they didn't think about, he didn't think about the long-term consequences. I'm sure we can all identify some point with one of those boys. So let me finish this first mandate to children, to minor children. And, and maybe I should say this. It's not age-specific. I've, I've said it at times, you know, any of my children that put their feet under my table on a consistent, you know, consistently, they need to obey to a point. Now, I don't tell Lincoln and Nina that, you know, go wash your face, or I don't think so. Um, but I do tell them, look, I don't want you out late at night because the household is not restful when you're out and I, we don't know where you are. But once they leave home, I'm not concerned where they are. I mean, I am, but it's not the same. You get my point. But what, I, what was amazing to me is you look at the book of Proverbs. In chapter 30, there is something that Agar, or Agar, his name is. He was a contemporary of Solomon, they believe, and he wrote some of the Proverbs. His, his name actually means collector. So it's, it's like he collected sayings. But he wrote many, many years ago. He recorded this in the book of Proverbs chapter 30. And in that chapter, he writes a lot about children and parents. It's really interesting. He says this. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. Now, I'm going to add the fifth. Okay, so there's four he doesn't understand. There's five that I don't understand. The way of the eagle in the sky is one. The way of a serpent on a rock is number two. The way of a ship on the high seas is number three. The way of man, Way of a man with his bride is number four. And the number five is the way of a child when you tell them it's time to go home. They just throw a fit. Why is that? But dad, but mom. Don't do it. I'm warning you. It isn't going to end well. I've seen it. I've felt it. (laughs) Sometimes we parents feel a little bit like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. I observed everything going on under the sun, really, and it's all meaningless, like chasing after the wind or chasing after a child. Now, you children, you minors who still live at home and are answering to your parents, one thing you need to know is there are reasons why your parents tell you things that you are to obey. Things you are to do and things you're not to do. They see the bigger picture. They know that if you just eat candy and cookies, you're not going to feel well. They know that if you don't get to bed on time, you're going to be grouchy in the morning, and therefore everybody else is going to be grouchy too. So they understand things that you don't quite yet grasp. And they're out for your good. Obedience is a choice. And Solomon said in Proverbs 22.15, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will make it leave. It will drive it far from him. Pain does that, doesn't it? It's a teacher. But how much better is it to learn without pain than with it? If you want to live a pain-free life, Just obey. I remember here reading of Dr. Paul Brand. He was a missionary doctor in India. He worked with leprosy patients. And he said one of the the most devastating things about leprosy is it, it deadens nerves. And he said people lose the ability to feel pain. And therefore they do things that destroy their bodies. They would reach into fires and grab something that's burning hot because they can't feel it. And then it burns their hand and they lose fingers and so on. That at night, they would they would lose ears and their nose because rats would come and chew on them and they couldn't, they couldn't feel it. They had no feeling. Pain is a teacher. Pain is a good thing because it tells us that something is wrong. And when you get pain on your backside, it's a teacher. All right? It's good for you. But it's better if you don't need that. But why? Why is that important? Paul said, why is it important that children are to obey their parents? He says simply because it's right. It's just, it's the right thing to do. Have you parents ever heard your children say, you ask them, why did they do something? Because? (laughs) We're good at that, aren't we? Why is two times two four? Just because it is, right? You don't need anything beyond that. When something is used the way it was designed to be used, it just works because that's the way it was designed. When the family, when mom and dad love and respect each other and their children obey, it just simply works. It's better because that's the way God has designed it. But there are exceptions, right? And there are problems that arise. But in a setting like that, when a problem arises, it's not insurmountable. It doesn't ruin us or the family. Now, I think we all know, I don't need to go into any statistics, that. All is not well with the, with the modern family. We have all these conveniences, all these tools for life, everything that we have and more, and we still can't seem to get it right. As I was preparing this message, I, I was looking for a quote about the family. And in my, in my search, I found two that I'd like to read. The first is from Hope Solo. Any of you recognize that voice, that voice, that name? A very famous women's soccer player, U.S. Olympic team. Listen to what she said about her family. My family doesn't do happy endings. We do sad endings, or frustrated endings, or no endings at all. We are hardwired to expect the next interruption or disappearance Or broken promise how sad is that eventually that kind of a family that kind of a life ruined her own life and the second quote comes from a young man by the name of Tupac Shakur anybody heard of him how he's a gangster rapper or was anyway This is a quote about him, one of the most influential and successful rappers of all time. And my question is, why would they use successful? He was killed in a drive-by shooting back in the 90s at the age of 25, but this is what he said, I turned to life of crime because I came from a broken family. And he was gunned down in broad daylight. Paul warned that godlessness in the last days would be evident. But understand this, that in the last days, difficult or dangerous, fierce times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, selfish. Lovers of money, greedy boastful, arrogant, proud, blasphemers, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. In that whole list, there's one that I left out. Disobedient to parents. Hmm. He also wrote to the church at Rome, and he gives a long list in chapter one of the evils that we can expect, that we are experiencing. And in that list, he also includes disobedience to parents. The consequences of never learning obedience while young just spills into all of life, and it it infects everything. In Proverbs chapter 30, we are given a vivid description of the natural results of disobedience. Now, thankfully, this isn't literal. At least, I don't think so. Listen to what Agar wrote. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's not a very nice picture, is it? But that's a picture of where disobedience to parents often leads to destruction but obedience is only part of our duty parents are to be honored by their children obedience is honoring but there's more to it than just obedience as adult children i don't think we are called to obey mom and dad like we once did i don't need, we don't need to call our parents and ask for their permission to go to the Chinese buffet. (laughs) I think I know what they'd tell me. But to honor our parents, obedience and honor are tied closely together. The second mandate is to honor our parents, which means to show respect and not just when they're present, but when they're not present, and that when we disagree with them and don't like what we're told, That we react in a way that is honoring to them and is not disrespectful. Now, I don't know any parents that are perfect. There's never been a parent that has been. So we're dealing with flawed human beings. But they still, our parents still need to be respected, which means there's no belittling of a parent. Never mock a parent or make fun of, or this one. Never mouth off to them. Have any of you done that? If you have, raise your hand. I don't, you don't have to. I think we all have. It has no place in the life of one who calls themselves a Christian, ever. We are to honor our parents, even though they were flawed, some deeply flawed. But we are still to honor them because of the authority that we are under, that they are under, and we need to honor them. Obedience and showing honor comes with a promise, Paul says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land or live long on the earth. I don't think that's a guarantee that we're going to live to a ripe old age. But it does mean that as a general principle, life will just be better. It will work better if we obey and we honor our parents. But what I find interesting in this passage, Paul doesn't end there with just children. He has a mandate for us as parents, specifically for us as fathers. He says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Other translations talk about exasperate you ever been exasperated oh, it's like but we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord i think we concentrate more on that second part that you know that may be easier bring them up in the instruction and admonition of the lord and we don't think often enough about provoking our children to anger let me explain what i mean Discipline and instruction are vital to a child's well-being and longevity. They need to be taught. That's, that's critical. That's very, very important. Do your children know what's expected of them? Or are they on edge, never quite knowing what to expect? We don't explain ourselves well enough. I'm guilty of that. Are we impatient with them? Are we irritable? Do we convey the idea to them that they're unimportant to us? Do they get the idea, the impression that they'll just never measure up? Are we setting our expectations too high It's easy for some of us to have unreasonable expectations. And that can provoke them to anger. We need to remember, I need to remember, that my children don't have the same life experience that I have, that we have, that parents do. They haven't been through all those things yet. I remember as a youngster, my parents really wanting me to learn to play the piano. I tried. I was obedient for the most part. But piano, playing the piano is not my skill set. Give me a hammer, not a piano. I know pianos have hammers, but it's not quite the same thing. But I remember this distinctly. When my parents came to the realization, Mike is just, he's not wired to be a piano player. And they said, okay, you don't have to continue. They were wise in that they saw that this isn't the direction where I could go. And so they released me from that. They could have demanded, but they didn't. Provoking a child to anger can sometimes lead to their rejection of the only Savior who can save them we have to be extremely careful. Demanding that your children be just like you is not good. When our children grow up, we release them into the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. If He led me through His Holy Spirit, He will lead them. They won't make all the same decisions that I make. They won't live their lives the same way I may have lived them or make the choices that I have made. But my main goal in life is to see them prosper with their Heavenly Father. That's all that matters. And it's not what we say, it's what we do that proves the point. In Matthew chapter 25, I need to close here. Jesus is telling the crowds that when He comes in His glory and He sits on His throne, He will separate. People, as a shepherd, separate sheep and goats. And it's interesting. He says he will separate them, not by what they say, but by what they have done. Our deeds are important. Paul echoes the same in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And part of that is obedience and honor of our parents. Amen? Let's pray. And then Jim is going to come and lead us in communion this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that you are gracious and merciful, that you forgive us as we come to you and repent. And Father, we acknowledge this morning that we are not perfect, We have not always done and said the things that we should. We have not always obeyed our parents and honored them. But Father, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive me in those times, from those times. And just help me, even though my parents and many of our parents are gone into glory. Father, we still want to do and say things that honor them. And we have to figure out how that looks through the wisdom that only you can give. So, Father, give us hearts that are truly obedient to you above all and that we obey those in authority over us because that's what pleases you and that's how this world was designed by you, our loving Heavenly Father. Father, give us as parents wisdom as we train, as we teach, as we discipline, as we encourage, as we build our children for greater works in the kingdom. May you be honored and glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.